All right, welcome everybody. I want to get started. Uh, just so, and I'm going to try to leave, hopefully leave some room for questions at the end. So hold them off unless I really don't make sense. Hold off till the end just for the recording sake. And then we'll try to do the questions and answers at the end. Um, just to let you know, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad Cruiser. I have a YouTube channel called Health and Homestead. You can check that out on YouTube. And we have over, I, I close to 150 videos on there. We're putting out new ones all the time on research on studies from the peer-reviewed literature on health and natural remedies compared to head-to-head -head with drug medication often found to be just as good or better. We also talk about uh, country living in general, homesteading, preserving food, growing food, gardening, and so forth. And so you can check that out. But before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to study about country living. I pray that Jesus would be in our midst, that your spirit would dwell not only in this meeting right here, but all those taking place over the course of the conference here with Adagra. Lord, we pray for your blessing and give us sharp minds. And I also pray that you would give people wisdom to implement what needs to take place in their own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at 15 points, and there's actually multiple points in, uh, on, that we're going to look at this morning on making the move to the country painfully or with pleasure. You can make massive mistakes, or you can hopefully do it. There's always going to be some pain, but you can make ma major mistakes and make the wrong decision, or you can make the right decision and still have difficulties. And so, But number one is going to take place. We're going to find it in Proverbs 3, verse 5. You probably know the first part of this. But the last part is in, con in, in the context of country living. You know the first part. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. If you're seeking to know where God is leading you, you need to acknowledge Jesus in all your ways. Put him first. Yield your life to him. Repent of your sins and, and allow him to day by day lead you in the small decisions of life, not in just the big decisions of buying a house or getting married, but in even the little things of life, let him direct your, your ways and he will do it. And then it says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones when you let God lead you. Interestingly enough, evolution has not given us the longest living culture on earth. Do you realize creation has given us the longest living culture, the longest living culture, Seventh-day Adventists, and they get their ideas from Genesis, creation. Isn't that powerful? If evolution is so powerful, what good has it done for anybody? Name one good thing it's done for humanity. Right? But at least creation has given us the longest living group of people by following these principles. But nevertheless, it's just, it shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Honor the Lord with your substance... And with the first fruits of all your increase, you know, we might today call that something like tithe. And I was amazed when I found out that the majority of people often don't even pay tithe in God's church. Young people, you may not even have a job yet, but when, when I gave my life to God, tithe wasn't like an option. It was like, am I going to follow God or am I not going to follow God, right? It's not like, hmm, will I give God what is his this week or not? It's not even a question. Even if you're in debt, should God get his, the money that we are to give to him? 
Yes, in all our ways we're to acknowledge him, right? And so put God first, even in your finances, of all your increase, so shall thy, what's going to be the result? Your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst with new wine. So notice this, trust the Lord with all your heart, is in the context of God blessing your agricultural labor. And friends, we want to put him first in all the things that we do if we want to be blessed in our lives. So the very first point out of our 15 points on making the move with pleasure is number one, seeking God's counsel. That's spending time in the word of God. But I want to also challenge you. I I asked the last group, but we have a lot of new people in this. How many of you, how many of you have read the book Country Living? How many of you? Okay, a number of us, maybe slightly less than half in this group. And the great thing is, and I said it to the last group, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny book. It is only 32 pages. I would challenge even you young people who hate to read. I used to hate to read too, but now I love to read. And so, uh, but read that book, Country Living. Seek God's counsel. There's going to be things in there that I don't have time to cover here. And it is unbelievably balanced. She doesn't just say, go, 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 move to the country. Hurry up and do it. Get it over with. No, no, no. She gives us wisdom that, listen, you need to be led by God. Don't go ahead of him. And you need to seek his counsel. So, number two, one of the most important things before you move to the country. Now, first of all, is giving your life to Jesus. That's most important. Seeking Jesus, knowing him, knowing his will, knowing what he says, yielding your life, being faithful with your finances, yielding everything you have to him, that's most important. But when you're actually going to make the move, you're yielded in Jesus, you're walking with him, he's your savior, he directs your paths. But you have to ask the question before you move to the country, can I make a living? Or can I have an income if I move to the country? You may be following Jesus with your whole heart, but you're not listening it for a moment, so now your heart isn't maybe 100% there, but you heard you should move to the country, and so you just rush off into the country, and you get there, and you find out you don't know how to make a living. How's that going to turn out? You're going to say, I wish I'd never listened to that guy, Chad Cruiser, right? It's all his fault. Well, no, I'm not pushing you into doing something you shouldn't before the time. You need to, you need to have wisdom from God. Can you make a living? Because one of the difficulties of living in the country is, It is harder to get a job, often. Yes or no? Why might that be? There's less work. There's less humans, and where there's less humans, there's less work. That doesn't mean there's not a ton of jobs in the country. I have a video on my YouTube channel of, like, I don't remember what it was, 15 jobs that you could do in the country. So you could check that out on Helton Homestead. But um, one of them, this isn't, like, a main one. I'm just, I was here in California. I was making a documentary at Weimar. And we were recording a bunch of people there. And, and I lived in a motorhome at the time. We lived full-time traveling in a motorhome. And this guy came by. There's a bunch of motorhomes there that sit there like year-round. And ours, we would travel. But we got there. And when a motorhome sits, it gets kind of dirty on the outside. And you'll get like, I don't know, moss, lichen, or something growing on the outside. And, and so this guy would go around with a van. And he would have just rags and things. And he would... People would pay him to just, he didn't have any water or anything. He just cleaned down, the, cleaned down these motorhomes. You know how much he would get per motorhome? $400. And you know how many he could do a day? Probably two or three. So the guy could make upwards of $800 to $1,200 a day wiping motorhomes. Is there work 
that you could do somewhere and make a living, yes or no? Does that sound like a good living, yes or no? That's an incredible living. I mean, think of what the Duke could make in a week, you know? And I, I'm not, this is not all about making a living or making great money. The point is there's so many jobs out there. There's so many jobs out there that if you're willing to find... I just met a kid two, uh, last week or the week before. I was, I was going on a walk. Uh, we were visiting Kansas City. And, um, I mean, we live out in the country, but we're in Kansas City. And I'm walking down the road. There's snow on the ground. And I see this kid. When I say kid, he was 18 years old. He was, he was moving like a clothes washer and dryer. And, and, and I said, hey, man, you need a, need a hand? He said, sure. So I, I started to give him a hand. And I was like, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, I, uh, I go on Facebook Marketplace... And people just give away old washers and so forth that they don't need or that don't work. I pick them up. I drive them over to this guy. He fixes them up. He pays me $30 a piece. Uh, and I said, well, how much, how, much do you, how much do you regularly make on this? He said, well, from last Wednesday to last Sunday, I made $2,000. My point is there's so many jobs out there. And honestly, many of them don't take a college degree. Many of them will make more than a college degree. And you'll be independent. And I'm not saying not to go to college. College makes it easier to get, it, to, to get a job. It does. It totally does. And so if you're going into a field that needs a college degree, go into it. You know? But it, there are other, many other things that actually you're just going to get out of school with a big debt unless you got rich parents or you worked really hard while you were in school. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting – were you going to tell me something? Yeah, oh, that kid was going to school, and he said – he was going to school for turf science. I didn't know there was such a thing, but turf science. And he said he was going into, um, he said, I already, uh, kid's 18 years old. He's like, I, I run my own, um, uh, you know, cutting people's grass and so forth. What would we call that? Landscaping. landscaping. Thank you. That's, yeah, I should know that. But nevertheless, uh, I, I run my own landscaping business. He said, my goal is to have the largest landscaping business in Northeast Kansas City. And so, Diligence, Ellen White says that we should be masters of our trades. I don't care what you go into. But you, you can seek to come. I, I have a friend, and I really appreciate it about them. He's always looking, how can I do better at whatever I do? And his, his thing is, how can I do better at witnessing? How can I reach more people? How can I do better? We can do that in all of our various fields, whether we're a plumber, whether we're a, a contractor, whether we clean the sides of motorhomes for 400 bucks a pop, right? There's always things we can do to do better. And when people see our diligence and faithfulness and our Christ-like attitude, and we even witness to them, they're going to be way more open to the gospel than if we were not so diligent in seeking to do the best we could. So you want to make sure you have an income because if you move out into the country, and this happens often, people are afraid, they hear a sermon on country living, they rush to the country, they can't find a job, it becomes a nightmare, and then they hate country living and they'll move back to the city and they will never be a part of it and they'll just think everybody that does that is crazy. But don't do that. Make sure you know, Ellen White says, know what you are about when you're going to move to the country. Number three. So then you have to also ask the question, do I want to build a house? Do I want to buy a house? Or do I want to rent a house? And you may be thinking, well, obviously, you know, either buying or building would be the best. Renting, you're just throwing away money. But that's not true. Obviously, those would be, yeah, it would be best if you could own a house outright. No question, that's the best. I'm, I'm not negating that. But are there times to move out into the country and rent? Yes or no? There are. Because one of the things you may learn is by living in an area for a few months or a year or so, 
you may learn about that area and learn, okay, that area is a, like for instance, I didn't do this, and so the area that I live in is a snow belt. Like two miles away, there'll be no snow, and you say, well, it's elevation. You should have known. It's not elevation. Like, I live in Michigan. There is no elevation, right? Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You understand. I know there's always elevation, but you get the idea. There's hardly any hills in Michigan. And so, so the point being, uh, you don't always know until you move to an area. And when you move there and you rent, I'm not saying you have to rent. I'm just saying don't think that because someone rents, they, they're like sinning. It can be wise at times to rent before you move. So if God calls you to rent for a time, that's totally fine. You might learn wonderful things. And while you're out there, you may run into people who didn't put their house on the market, but you, you get to know people. And finally, you're like, hey, do you know anybody selling? Sometimes I met a lady, uh, might have been last at Agra conference. This woman, she met some, somebody, it was five acres with a, like a farmhouse. And I don't, I don't remember, it might have been like $85,000. It was ridiculous. It was super cheap. And uh, the lady wasn't, she didn't put it up on, on Zillow or whatever. It's just sometimes people are out there, they will sell it to you below the price and you're way less likely to find that on Zillow. And you don't have to necessarily rent to find that. You could go into an area, literally knock on doors and say, hey, I'm looking to move to the area. You really find an area you like and you're like, do you happen to know anybody selling? People literally do that. And you will sometimes find people who say, yeah, there's a guy down the road. Why don't he, he's got the white house with the picket fence. Go over there and check it out and uh, ask him. And then he t he's like, no, not me, but there's another person. And you may find something. It's, th these are just options. One of the things I have found, I have been able to travel the world for 20 years. And I've seen, I, I've spent time, we've ministered to homeless people. We've spent time with multi-multi-millionaires. And one of the things I've learned from successful people is they don't give up when a door is shut. They think, okay, where is another open door? Or how can I walk around that door or find another door? And so don't give up just because you're like, well, I just don't have enough money. It could never happen for me. Don't have the mentality, I'm the poor guy. I can never make it. I can never get ahead. You can continue to go forward. You are a child of the king. God loves you. And we are told for those who are willing, he has a country home. Not for those who have pockets just stacked with cash, but those who are willing. Now, we do have to be diligent. I don't want to negate that. We've got to work hard. But nevertheless, you know, we, we need wisdom from God. So should you build, buy, or rent? And at different times, e e any one of these three things may be the best option for you. Sometimes it might be rent. Another time it might be buy. Sometimes it's cheaper to buy. When we, back in 2017, we bought our land in the country, our acreage, uh, it ended up being the cheapest for us to build. I guess it would have been cheaper to get a mobile home, uh, but, but it, it, was, it was just about as cheap for us to build at that time. Now things have skyrocketed, so there's different things at different times. I don't want to be categorical and say there's only one answer at any given time. You have to let God lead, but these are three of the options, and sometimes it's cheaper to, to buy. Sometimes if you live in an area with low regulations, you could park a motorhome on it, or you could have a tent on it, we, we slept in tents for months on our property felling trees. So there's different options until we finally had our house built and, and now we have a house and so forth. So there's different options. Number four is, did you want to move out with other families or alone? The reason I say this is sometimes it is, can be cheaper if you got a few families together and they buy a large plot of land that you would have never had money to get on your own but as you buy it in a group, 
It is cheaper. But there are serious stipulations, and I'm going to get into that in the next point. So I don't want to just make it sound that, like that sounds like all roses and rainbows. Like, oh, it's always going to go well. No, it could go very difficult in a situation like that. But there are times where it, it can be advantageous and advantageous and even wise to do this. But the caveats are what I want you to consider if, if you feel led to do that. So like I said, sometimes you could have a, a, a you know, group of people and they get together and they buy... 200 acres where because land is cheaper in massive plots often not always but often than it is in small two or one or five acre or ten acre plots like a, a five or a ten acre plot in one area might be a hundred and fifty thousand i mean some areas it might be 40 or 20 you know it just depends where you are it's getting harder to find those today but but then so let's let's say it might be five or ten thousand an acre if you buy them individually but then when you buy a bunch of acreage, it might be, you know, 1,000 to 2,000 an acre. So if you get several people together, it makes it cheaper. But this could cause a lot of pain and suffering if you do not be careful with that. And what I mean is, and this is number five, if you league up with other people to buy land, make sure that you legally divide it up. Don't just trust in each other. You say, we're Seventh-day Adventists. We should trust each other. We should. Love believes all things. But it, let's, say, let's say you buy 200 acres with a group of people. What would it hurt to divide it up and get legal access to a portion of it? You have your 10 or 20 acres or whatever it is. And now, regardless of what happens, if one person decides to sell, because if you're with a group of families, I can guarantee, almost guarantee, that somebody's going to want to move at some time. And unless the rest of you are able to find in your pockets an extra 60, 70 grand or whatever it is, it's going to be hard to break this thing up. But if you do it right from the beginning, make sure you get legal deeded access, you divide it up, you go in there, decide what portions you want, and uh, that way once it's done, it's done. You can still live near each other, but, but you've, you've made it right, and this way you won't have to go to court with each other. Now, you shouldn't. The Bible says that brethren in the church don't go to court against each other. And the way you can avoid that is by making it legal beforehand. So you never have to get into that trouble. Does that make sense? Yes. And, there's, and you say, but Chad, isn't that like a lack of faith, not just trusting your brethren and, and actually doing that? I don't think it is at all. I think it's the wisest thing. You could disagree with me and you could choose to go do it. And hopefully you don't come to me in a few years and say, I didn't listen and <laughs> it stinks. Now we're, now we're in this terrible war with other people in the church. I mean, that would be a nightmare. So there is a way you could do it. And if you do it, but once again, start with this. Seek God's counsel, number one. Seek God with all your heart before you do something like Forum 5, which is, are you going to go at it alone or are you going to go at it with other families? Um, and if you do, make it, make it legal. As, now, it may be that you have no money and somebody else does have money. And so there can be other things like you you have to work off the land i mean like indentured servitude or something like that it sounds like so you may have to work something else out you're gonna have to figure that out on your own uh but in general i would say make sure you have legal access and uh, another solid not legal access that you have a legal portion of that property secondarily i didn't put it in here but i should have whenever you buy land make sure you do have legal access to the land I had a friend who bought some incredible steel. It was a steal of a property, but you couldn't get to it. 
So it was a steal of a piece of dirt somewhere that you could never go to, right? So make sure when you go to a property, like is there a road, is there a driveway, is there a path? Do you have legal deeded access to it? You can, there are times where you have a legal, what's called an easement, where, where maybe somebody sold a plot of land behind, like for instance, let's say, let's say they own 100 acres and toward the back of it, they had 40 that they wanted to sell. And so they make a legal easement, a legal pathway that they can never revoke. Once that legally has been made, they can never get rid of that. And you can legally get to that. And it is okay to buy that property. If you have that legal easement, you'll have no trouble. You shouldn't anyway. Yeah, there can always be trouble. But in general, like you, you shouldn't legally ever have a problem. But if they just promise you, oh, we're not, we don't, we haven't given you legal deeded access, but, but we'll give it to you. Trust us. Trust us. That sounds good right now, but what if they sell their property in front of you and the new guy comes in and Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph? You understand? They may have been the most faithful people in the world and good friends of yours, but the moment they move, trouble can break loose. So make sure to have an easement or some kind of, or, or just being on a road. If you're on a road, you should, you know, you got access or whatever. So um, we had talked about build, buying, or renting, but the, the Bible says in Proverbs 24, Proverbs 24, verse 27, prepare your work without, prepare the work outside and make it fit for yourself in the field. And afterward, what? Build your house. So before you, if you do build, that is, if you do build, you want to make sure before you build to find out where is the most advantageous piece are part of this land for growing food. That's very, very important. Because if you put your house right where you should have been, it was the best spot to garden, well, you've kind of messed up your property. And it's not easy once you've built a house to move the thing. It's not impossible, but it's ridiculously difficult, right? So prepare your work outside and make it fit for yourself in the field. Afterward, go about building your how? So number seven is to plan the agricultural area first. If you're now, if you're buying a piece of property, hope it's. I mean, hopefully it's already kind of set up like that. If, if if it's got a house on it already, but if it isn't, if it's just, if you're like my wife and I, and you're just bu- buying raw land, uh, you want to plan where is the garden area going to be. That is very very important because part of country living. Country living for, for Adventists in the last days is not simply about sitting on your porch drinking lemonade. That's, that's not the main part of being there. It's actually about the spiritual benefit of being there. But there is the aspect of growing your own food. We talked about that in the last session. So you want to be able to grow your own food. So that is an important thing to consider. So plan the agricultural area first. And number eight, one of the most important things about your property is water. This is one of the most important. There are different options for water, for your drinking water and for your agricultural water. It could be a well. It could be a spring, a creek. You could have municipal water from the city. Or you could have it delivered in if you live in the desert. But some of these areas, some of these options are difficult in the last days, potentially. You understand. Like many people move to areas of the desert where they don't have access to water. And so they have weekly or every few weeks, they'll have a a truck come and deliver them water. Do you see how that could get difficult in the last days? Yes or no? It is an option, but it is not an option that I would be, I would ever choose for myself or my family because I am a dependent on somebody else at that point. You follow? 
We want to learn to be as independent as possible. And water, could you imagine if, if somebody didn't like you, they didn't like your religion, or they didn't like the color of your eyes, and they decide, no, we're not going to deliver water to you anymore. I mean, whatever. I mean, that's ridiculous. But you get the point. The time could come where somebody won't do it. So delivery, I would suggest not buying a property where you have to have water delivered. Municipal is, is an option, and it, it's an okay option. It's not the best, but it is an option. So that means you know standard water from the city. Um, I would rather have a well or a spring or a, a creek that you filter. Um, all of those are great options, but, you know, obviously they could be tainted. Spring water can be tainted. Creek water can be tainted. Well water can be tainted. So, uh, but that, that's where a good filtration system could come in. And uh, all those are great. The trouble is all of us probably would love the, the, the apex of country living property would have a spring 80 foot up on a hill that trickles down, you catch it in a basin, and it goes into your house, and it gives you, you know, gravity-fed water to your house. Isn't that what you want to find? And so do like 100 million other Americans, right? So it's a great option. I do have friends who have that. Yes, I should have added that in there. I appreciate that. So, so the point was just made, I'm saying it for the uh, recording, is that in Australia, and I have, um, I, I saw you on video with your, your new wife, but uh, your name again? Chris, okay, Chris. Um, and we, we've been to Australia, and it's true. In Australia, it is very common to have a rainwater catchment system where on your roof, the water comes in, and you can use that water. Now, in America, in some areas, you can do that with the rainwater. And in other areas, it's illegal. So you've got to figure out stipulations in your own zoning in your own area, which is ridiculous to me that it would be illegal, but it is. And so if you move to an area where it's illegal, the, that, that's not an option. Most America, I think it would be legal. But there are going to be some deserty areas that are not legal. Yeah, even the morning dew. Even the morning dew can, can be caught in areas that get a nice dew in the morning, and it is totally usable. So uh, especially, you know, if you, you know, some people don't even filter it, but you can filter it. That's an option. But I want to say about well cost. There are, my, my, I have a, uh, someone close to me who just bought some land. They were so excited. It's pretty expensive in, in, you know, in my estimation. It was you know, around $300,000 for 10, 11 acres. And, um, you know, but different parts of the country, that's just the way it is. And, you know, like now Idaho, Northern Idaho, that's just the price. I mean, that's just, it used to be much cheaper. You used to buy, you know, 10 acres for 60 grand or whatever. Now it's three, 300 grand with nothing on it, except for trees. But um, you may come to an area where you find out a well costs you an additional $75,000 or $100,000. Just depends what part of the country you're in. You have other areas where it might cost you three, four, five thousand dollars. So that is an additional expense. And when you're moving to an area, look in to find out how deep are the wells. Do they hit water if you're looking to get water? Do they? Do they? You know what? What's the average depth? And what is it? What does it run? What is the cost? Because somebody might buy some land and then you don't have enough money to get a well or some water access or whatever it is. So you do want to look into those things before you dive into something because that is a factor now this is if you're buying some raw land if you buy a house probably whatever you're looking for is there at least either municipal or a well are going to be the most common that you're going to find now let's go forward and it's also wise if you have your well drilled initially to have the water tested and 
just you can get a water test. The person who does your well can probably tell you how to do that. You can typically do it through even places. I think like um, what do you call them? Home Depot or those kind of places. They'll typically have water testing things that you can go buy there, ship it off, and then find out how how your water is. And once again, filtration normally can clear that up in most cases anyway, even if you do have some trouble. But number nine is to, uh, thinking about the area of your property that you're going to do agriculture. There's a few things that you want to consider. Uh, we'll start with the last one here first. Grade and steepness. Often you can find incredibly cheap properties that are like a massive steep hill. And there's a reason it's a cheap property because it's on a massive steep hill, right? And so you might be able to get away with that. You see amaz the amazing agriculture that's been done in Asia where you see these terraced mountainsides, like the whole mountain has been terraced. And that is possible. But it's also an unbelievable amount of what? Work, Work to do that. And it might be rocks, and so you can't even do it, you know, like, or at least it's, you're not going to be able to grow. You might be able to. I'm not saying it's an impossibility. If God led you, maybe, but it might, it might just be that you think it's a deal because it's so cheap. But often when things are super cheap, there's a reason they're so cheap. But do consider the grade, the, the you know, how, how slanted the property, how, how much of a hill it is, because this can hurt your ability to grow things or it can have terrible erosion. So you, it's always nicest, if you can, to find a relatively flatter area. It doesn't have to be perfectly flat, but, you know, ser seriously steep. You may have areas on the property that are really steep, but if you're looking to grow your own food, yes, you can do, you know, uh, raised beds and so forth, but number one, that gets to be very expensive. The cheapest way is to grow things in the ground. Um, you know, yes, you can figure out ways. There's always ways around it. But it's a lot more work than doing it just the old-fashioned way. I'm not saying not to do raised beds. They can be a phenomenal way to grow things. But in general, if you're just getting in somewhere, it's just more work. But nevertheless, um, the other thing to, is to consider the soil. What is it like? Is it just rocks everywhere on the property? It may be very rocky, and God may lead you to it, because you remember the school that was called the Madison Farm. When they found the Madison Farm, uh, McGann and Sutherland looked at it and they said, no, this is not God's will. And Ellen White said, God showed me in vision. This was the property. And they said, no, it's not. This thing is just filled with rocks. And she said, this is the property. So there are times where God would make you work like crazy. We, we visited. Yeah, they sat down and they cried because they're like, this is God's will. You might sit down on your own property and cry and say, what on earth have I done? And maybe God did lead you there anyway. And the effort, the labor will change your character, make you stronger and healthier and mentally healthier. And so God may lead in that, but in, I mean, it's always, it always is nicest if you can find something with great soil. But most of us don't find the best soil when we get our property. Um, you might have to be chucking rocks for years, you know, moving rocks out of the, out of the garden area. We had the opposite. We have super sandy soil. So, you know, but once again, you got to do what you got to do. So you, so we have to add in a lot of compost or you could add manure unless you're someone who doesn't want to use manure. And that's totally cool if you're not into that. I'm cool with that either way. But um, recognize there's different ways. The old saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Not a very nice saying, but it is true, right? And so looking into the soil is important to know about. Uh, I would also suggest this. If you go to look at the soil, yes, you can't just look at a soil, but we live in a time 
where honestly, much of the time, you can't get go get a soil test and wait two weeks whether you buy the property. I wish you could, but we live in this insane selling time that you don't have weeks. You go and you look and you decide. I'm not saying you should do this, but many times you have to decide quickly because there's going to be offer, 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 offer. Yes or no? This is what's going on often maybe even in country areas, not as much as the cities clearly, but things are going fast even in the country. And so you don't have two weeks to get a soil test. But I would suggest that you do go dig down 8, 12 inches into the soil just to see at least what it looks like. What it looks like doesn't guarantee anything. Like, for instance, I think the valley here has pathetic-looking soil, but it is some of the most amazing soil in America. When you drive through the area, it looks like sand pits, and yet it grows some of the most amazing fruits and vegetables anyway. So just looking at it isn't going to guarantee that you know what you're looking at. Does that make sense? And so what I'm saying, I'm ignorant. Obviously, the, the soil is quite amazing here, even though it doesn't look. So, so looking doesn't guarantee. But one thing you can look at is how good are the weeds growing. If the weeds are growing very, very well, it's probably good soil. You know? But you've got to know your weeds a little bit to know which ones to tell. But in general, I actually do have a, I have a video on that, too. You can check that out on our YouTube, YouTube channel, Health and Homestead. Like, what do weeds teach you? So then we go on to number 10. Do you want a stick-built house? That means a standard-built house. A mobile home, a tiny house, or one of the unusual things like a hay bale home or a cordwood cabin or a, a log cabin. These are all options, and they all have positives and negatives. The positive of a stick-built home is it gives you greater ability to sell when you're done with it. That's one of the great benefits of a stick-built house. Uh, a mobile home. People say, they've said for years, I hear them say it all the time, Mobile homes go down in value. They might in mobile home parks. But you go look for 10 acres with a mobile home and see if the property's gone down in the last 20 years. If you find that, you found a needle in a haystack. Because that is not true these days. I hear, I hear people say that. I hear Dave Ramsey say that. Oh, no, mobile homes go down in value. Maybe in mobile home parks. But they do not... like. Right now, for the last several years, it's hard. You go around the country, it's hard to find like 10 acres with a mobile home for 300 grand in many places or more. Or more. So I am not someone, I, I do have a stick, we, we built our house, but I am not someone who disparages mobile homes. Not at all. Not at all. I actually think they can be a great option and with the increases in prices, now I want to be honest, they're typically not going to have the, be the quality that a stick bale house is. That is true. You're going to have Lower grade cupboards and lower grade almost everything in the house, you know. But, but it's a nice place to live. It's a nice place to live. And so I'm not disparaging it one iota. And so uh, go wherever the Lord leads. A mobile home may be a cheaper option to get into the country for many, many people. Tiny houses. Tiny houses uh, are a great start for somebody if they would like to do that. M most places, they're illegal. You can't, you can't have a tiny home. 95% of America, you can't legally have a tiny home, probably. There are a few places that you can. You know, Backwoods, Arkansas, maybe Missouri. There's one county in Michigan that I know of that you can do it in. There's an area in Texas you can do it in. Sadly, the only way you could do it is if nobody knows about it in most places. Just don't tell anybody. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that. I'm just telling you. Most of the time, it's not legal. And if you get caught, they may start fining you to the point where you have to give it up. You have to move. So... 
Uh, I'm just letting you know about knowing the legalities is important. And uh, the unusual homes like the hail, ha straw bale houses or the uh, um, cordwood cabins, once again, these are going to be things that you're probably only going to be able to grow in very specific localities like maybe certain areas of Arizona or, like I said, backwoods Arkansas or maybe, some, maybe Tennessee. But more and more regulations make it very hard to do things super inexpensively. Um, yes? Do you know if part of a tiny home is illegal? What, what was the question? Why is it illegal? Why is it illegal? It's illegal because people don't like people having little houses by them because it brings down property value. And so it's not about helping out the little man. It's more like, I want my house to sell for a lot of money, and if you build a 200-square-foot house next door, uh, it brings down the property value in the area. That's the reason why. And, and so, yeah, like in our area, the minimum square footage you can have is 1,100 square feet. That's the minimum. That's just the way it is, because they were trying to keep people from having single-wide mobile homes. That means you could still have a double-wide mobile home, but not a single-wide, because it'd be too small. And so this, these are the kind of things you run into. And often different townships, which are very, very small, will have different... A, a township right next to the next township will have different legalities, different rules and regulations. So uh, that's just, just the way it works. And I wish it weren't the case, honestly, but it is the way it works. And so if you don't want to be kicked off your property, it's best as much as possible to follow the law because it causes a lot of pain if you don't. So, um, number, number 11. I don't know why I have those two come up at the same time, but it's going to be cost of living in the area that you're looking, including things like property taxes. So, cost of living. Some areas of the nation, Missouri, for instance, is one of the cheapest areas of the country to live. California is one of the what? Most expensive, where we are right now. So, in one of the most expensive areas to live in. The difficulty with California is the, the people who got here 40 years ago it was still more expensive than some other places, but now it's exorbitant. Many of the young people in California will never be able to own a home, right? They might be able to get a you know, mobile home in a mobile home park or something like that, but it's just, it's not impossible. If, if you know, husband and wife both have college degrees, have good jobs, yeah, they're going to be able to do it. But it's getting harder and harder. Not impossible, because remember, if you clean motorhomes for a living, you could make $1,200 a day. So you don't need to be a doctor to make that kind of money. You could figure something out and still make a good living, you know, you can even make a really good living farming one acre. One acre can make you a really good living these days. Now, not if you're doing standard, uh, you know, standard agricultural methods, obviously, but if you're, if you're doing the, some of the things like the Dysingers here or, or someone like uh, Never Sink Farms, you can see them on YouTube, and so these people making like $380,000 on an acre and a half, you know, I mean, most of you aren't going to be able to do that, but the point is there are ways to make it, even with simple lifestyle, um, you're probably not going to make that kind of cash. But nevertheless, so cost of living, property taxes, some places are exorbitantly high when it comes to property taxes. And then there are other areas where it's super cheap, like Arkansas, for an example. You may pay, you may have 12 acres in Arkansas, and uh, if you live real rural, you can build whatever you want. You can build a literal shack, you can put a tiny house, you can put whatever you want, and your property taxes might be 50 bucks a year for 12 acres, 100 bucks a year, maybe 200 bucks a year. You go somewhere else, it might, you go to New York State in the middle of nowhere, you find yourself a tiny house on 10 acres, you bought it for $110,000, and you spend like, I don't know, 
$6,000 a year on property taxes. I'm, I'm, those numbers are probably a little off, but they're crazy is what I'm saying. It's probably a little off, but, but it is, it's ridiculous there. So it might be cheap to buy it, but the, the state is just ripping money out of your pocket every chance they get. And so if the Lord leads you there, go. But I do want you to be cognizant of, of the cost of living in the given region that you're living in. Could you even afford to be there? Even if it's beautiful, even if you could buy the place, can you keep it up? That's the question. Number 12 is utilities. Do you want to be on or off grid? Do you want solar hydro or micro hydro or wind power or maybe a combination of several? Uh, the, just to let you know, there are many different options. Now, if you're going very, very simple, you can find an inexpensive solar system if you live in an area that gets plenty of sun. But many of the places in this nation in the winter will be just clouded over and get very little electricity. And so solar won't work a lot of the time, right? Hydro, microhydro could freeze up in certain areas. Wind, it works if there's wind and it doesn't when it's not. And so, so there's all kinds of options. And um, if you do off-grid, you're going to have to learn how these things work and how to deal with them because you are your own power company. You don't just call the power company to deal with your problems. You have to learn to deal with them on your own. Yes, you could call an electrician. I don't mean that, that you couldn't. But in general, learning as much about it as possible will help you to, to navigate certain road bumps that come along your way. So, okay, something went out. What happened? Oh, I need to you know, flip this on or do whatever or um, whatever it may be. So, but it often can actually be more expensive than being on the grid. So it just depends where you're at, depends your situation. Obviously, you know, a lot of folks going into country living would love the, the independence of, of some kind of off-grid system, but it can be more difficult. If you're older and it's just too much difficulty being on the grid, and, and if times got tough and the electricity went out, if you still have a wood stove to keep you warm, humans have lived without electricity before, right? It's not an impossibility. It's nicer to have it. And you might not be able to make it with water. There are even options there. For instance, uh, you can have a well bucket where if you totally run out of electricity, the Amish make this long tube. You can put down, we've met someone who lived this way. She's lived this way for many years all on her own, where she has a well drilled but doesn't have electricity on her property. She drops down this tube into her, into her well casing, and she just pulls water out. She drinks water out of it. She bathes with that water. I mean, this is... This is hardcore living, but it is possible. You don't need electricity. I have electricity. I want electricity, but I'm, I'm just saying if the time came where they shut off your electricity, you could still exist, right? If you can get your water somehow and you can heat, you heat your food and heat your house, right? So those are some things to consider. So, uh, but then you also have, if, if you want standard municipal ut utilities, you do have to check in. How, if it's not there when you buy the land, how much will it cost to get it to you? That's something to consider. Sometimes it'll be way cheaper going with utilities than it will be off-grid. And so that's, that's an easy option for you if you choose to. Uh, but other times it will be so expensive because your property is so far away, the only option would be either no electricity or get your own system somehow, right? Like an off-grid system. And so another thing to consider is frost-free days. This is very, very important depending on where you are. It's only important in the north. In the south, you probably, unless you're in the south and you live on a mountain, then it's still important. But um, it, like if you live in Southern California and you're not on a mountain, it's not even an issue. 
But if you live in the northern part, you live in Idaho, Montana, um, you know, different areas, you, there, there is, there's a website called plantmaps.com. I think it's with the United States government. And I would, even before going to plantmaps.com, plantmaps.com, I would Google plant maps and type in last frost. And then it will show you a map and you can click on exactly the area you're looking and it will give you the average last frost of the spring. And then you go back to Google. I don't know why they made that website so complicated. Maybe you're smarter than me and you can figure that website. I go back to Google and I type in first frost plant maps and it will go back to the same website but then I get to click on a map and then it will show me the first frost in the fall and you can put those numbers together and you'll get an average of how many frost free days there's also websites where you can just punch in the zip code and it will tell you the average frost free days in the area but remember there's different different you know elevations in an area there's snow belts in a given area and so it's still good to go to the map and click on exactly where that property is and get an idea of how many frost free days because i just had someone contact me about uh northern michigan in the upper peninsula and they totally could move because you can find these amazing cheap properties there you can get like i don't know sometimes like 100 acres for eighty thousand bucks or whatever and so uh but often those are in areas where you'll have 80 frost-free days a year. 80, that's not three months. And so you could grow brassicas like kale, cabbage, broccoli, and so forth. But things like, you wouldn't be able to probably grow squash unless you have a greenhouse, which adds more money. Um, and you, you could probably grow potatoes, short-season potatoes. So there are certain things you can grow, but you're really limiting your, your growth potential, except if you have a greenhouse and that costs more money. But if you have that money, fine. But then you might not be looking there because you could look in an area that has a little bit longer season and, and you don't need that. But, but I'm just saying, knowing the frost-free days is a very important thing, especially if you're up in the north or in the mountains, to get an idea of, I personally, this is not, God didn't say this, but I would like to have over 100, I think 120 is really I wouldn't want to dip much below 120 but that's just my personal opinion you can go lower and um, but 80 days is a bit painful to me you know but it's up to you if you can handle that I mean people live up in Alaska and grow potatoes and so forth and you in some areas you can do that no problem so it, it's you're not taking my but but it's good to know what you're getting into that's what I'm trying to say right here number 14 is permits homeowners associations and restrictions when you move into a, a property you want to know how much it's going to cost if you're building now if you if, if you're already there's a house already there then you want to know is there a homeowners association and what are the restrictions because I, I was gonna my wife and I were looking at buying land and I'll just say it was in South Dakota one of my favorite places in the world uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to afford back then five eight years ago we could have afforded it but the prices have probably gone up five times in that time period. So we, I don't know that we could ever afford being there. Uh, but, but at the time, we were looking at some property that we could have afforded, but there were, they had a homeowners association. I really didn't, I'm, I'm a person who'd rather not have that. And one of the stipulations of the homeowners association was no offensive jobs. What does that mean? Like, I make documentaries. I made one on the Antichrist. Is that offensive? To somebody, clearly it would be. And so could they say, well, we're going to take your property away or something like that? Or we'll fine you because you have a job that offended somebody? I don't know. 
So I didn't do it. Later on, they, they dissolved the whole homeowners association. Now it has no restrictions. And now I think, oh man, wish I would have gotten it, you know? But uh, too late, you know? And uh, one of the most beautiful places in the world right there. But nevertheless, we didn't get it. And God let us otherwhere, and so it is what it is. But in general, homeowners associations, they can just make you do or not do all kinds of things. Maybe they can make a new rule. You can't garden. And you got to abide by it. So, I mean, if you want to do homeowners association, that's up to you. But that means your life is in the hands of all those who run the homeowners association. Uh, restrictions. You, like we said, you want to find out how much, where can you build on the property? Can you, you know, in some areas of California, they may not let you cut down trees. Um, I would rather live in an area that has freedom where you can do largely what you want. But now these days there's restrictions almost everywhere except for a few areas. Uh, but knowing the restrictions is very important. And permits, for instance, we were visiting Placerville, California. We weren't looking to live there necessarily, but we were, we were there and uh, we were told at that time, I don't know what it is now, maybe it's gone up, maybe it's gone down, this mountainous area, country, rural area, if you bought land to get a permit at that time, was $75,000 just, that gives you nothing. That just allows you to build. So you may have bought your land, and now you need $75,000 that you just give away, and then now you have the ability to build your house if, if they accept your plans. We might have spent on our, where we live, we might have spent 400 bucks for the permits. So the point is, in some areas, like I said, backwoods Arkansas, you got to make sure, but if they have no restrictions, you can build whatever you want. You don't even need to tell them. You just go out in the back and start nailing together some two-by-fours or whatever, you know? So just depends where you are. But when there's no restrictions, there's no restrictions. That means your neighbors can have just trash everywhere. So there's benefits to restrictions and there's negatives to it, you know? Yes, in the back. I, I better finish up. Thank you for sharing. So this person is saying that they live in Arkansas and somebody is basically trying to maybe sue or trying to take part of their land away. And it is a very good point. And I want to say this and I'll finish up and then I'll let people make comments or questions. But uh, long story short, one of the things I would suggest getting on any property is a survey. It costs money. You'll feel like it. And the person, these days, you'll probably have to pay for the survey. Before, you probably could get the person to pay for it. But with the crazy housing market, you're probably going to have to pay the money yourself. But you, you, before you buy it, you say, I will buy it on contingency of a survey. Because you may find out they tell you it's 40 acres and you find out it's 20 acres. Or, or, or they tell you the line's over here, but actually the line went through the center of the house. And now the neighbor can make you get rid of your house. I mean, that's unlikely to happen, but it could happen. That's the point. And so you, you may, getting a survey is very, very important it costs money. It can cost thousands of dollars, but sadly, you could get up. You could be up a creek without it, and so that's something to consider. So, and also, like was just stated, you may be buying in an auction, and auctions can work out in very, you know, in, in some cases. But it, a friend of mine, he he went where you buy these, you you buy on an auction these uh, properties that people have lost, and he thought, well, uh, I will I will pay. I'll put the minimum thing on three different properties. And he put it in the paperwork, and then he won all three. Well, it turned out they were swampland, and so they're unusable land, and now he can't sell them. So before you just dive into something, you have, I, I mean, I'm not saying you have to go see it, but I have almost, very seldom, I have looked at properties across the country, very seldom do they look like the pictures. 
You look at the house and you're like, wow, that looks beautiful. And you get there and there's like mold growing on the walls. But you couldn't see it in the pictures, right? And so my point is, generally you want to go see it. God may lead another way. We just met somebody else that did it based, they sight unseen, and it worked. Most of the time that's painful. But So uh, let, let's go on. One more point, two more points. Consider moving in, into missions or into a dark area. There are counties that have zero Seventh-day Adventist churches. I know Adventists love to congregate. We all want to live in Low Melinda. We all want to live down in Tennessee with all the Adventists, or we all want to live right around, you know, northern Washington, right by all the Adventists or whatever. But I would challenge you to consider and pray about moving to a dark area. My wife and I literally decided we want to try to move to an area without an Adventist church. Our hope was to be a light in that area. Or maybe God will call you to South America, to Africa, or wherever in the world. To be a light. We are not made to just, yeah, we, Adventists just love just hanging out with each other and debating, you know, prophecy or, or arguing about last generation theology or whatever people like to debate about. But that's not our purpose. Just debating amongst each other. We are to be a light to the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the three angels' messages. And so I would really challenge you to pray about considering not moving to an Adventist ghetto. I would, really, I would really consider that. So God could use you in missions to wherever in the world. He may call you to Europe because one of the places in the world that needs the gospel more than anywhere is Europe. I've done missions there. And so it could be wherever, but you know, allow, allow God to lead you. But even, even when moving to other countries, if you're looking to buy your own land, there's, there's few countries in the world that are free like America. You can come to America and buy land. You go to Asia... You go to Nepal, you can never buy land your whole life, no matter what. You couldn't do it. You go to many Asian countries, you go to most of the world, and you can't buy land. There are very few countries that are free like America, where people can just buy land in this country. There's almost nothing like it. But there are places that you can, and so look into it if you're actually looking to buy, is what I'm saying. And so, number 16, and and then I'll, I'll let you ask questions, is check out our YouTube channel specifically about a video called You Don't Want to Live in Rural Areas with These Nine Problems. I don't have time to go into it, but I have a video called that. And, um, you know, sometimes people curse me out or get angry at me because of some of these things that I say on there, and it's okay. Uh, sometimes I need a good beating or, you know, put down. You know, you need to be humbled a little. But nevertheless, I think the points are pretty valid there. Uh, nine things that you want to avoid in rural areas. I mean, one of them, just to give you an example, is like I don't want to live next to a nuclear power plant, obviously, Right? You could. You may live next to one. It'll be cheaper. But, you know, there's always a reason things are cheaper, typically. And so uh, that's just one of them. There's several other things there that you can check out. Um, But you can just, in general, you can just check out our YouTube channel called Health and Homestead. But does anybody have any questions? First questions, rather than comments. um, Yes. When you say dark area, uh, what does that mean? No, when, when I say dark, that's probably kind of old school language for just an area that doesn't really have a big Adventist presence. Like we don't have a church, we don't have a, you know, Adventist community. A dark county is what they historically would call them, which just simply means there's no church there. And there are whole giant counties, some towns of like 10,000 people who have zero Seventh-day Adventist church. And so by going to these places, you might be a part of changing that whole community like you hear the old stories, oh, Uncle Joe, he's the one who started the church here. You could be Uncle Joe or Uncle Jane or whatever, you know. So, yes, go ahead. Uncle Sorry. There's a church an hour, one way, 30 minutes, another way, 45 minutes, another way. But where we are, 
is that would that still be considered dark? Yeah, I mean, if there's if you got a little area there, yeah, that could totally be. Yeah, you know, and you could try to be a light in that area for sure. Yes. Yeah. Oh, great question. Like, like you have something called uh, uh, park models, like little modular homes. You know, those things, they can work. But once again, you have to find out, is it legal in your location? Because most of the little, there's like these little cute things called park models that are a little bigger than a tiny house, but they look kind of like a tiny house. They're really cool and relatively inexpensive. Everything's expensive today, but relatively compared to a normal house, most properties aren't going to allow something that small legally. And so, but if you can find a place that will, some places you could probably work it out and finagle it into the, the regulations by getting enough acreage where you officially declare your property a mobile home park. And uh, you might be able to sell off or like rent off a portion of the property and it literally is a mobile home park so you can have tiny houses. That would be a cool thing. You know, if somebody wants to do the tiny house thing, they could literally buy enough acreage where you can rent out sections of it. You make a living at the same time. And, you know, that, that's an option. So, outbuildings? Um, I mean, depending on, like a little barn or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, it's a great option. It's a great way to make a living while living in the country. It's a great way to help other people out while living in the country. But once again, do check in the area, the zoning of your areas. Because some, some areas, it's one family unit on the property. So you want to make sure that you're in an area that doesn't have those stipulations if you're looking to do that. You want to be in an area that still has freedom to be able to have multiple dwellings within that, that piece of property. Contact him. Uh, you, you can go to anchorpointfilms.com. Hit contact us, anchorpointfilms.com. Contact us, and you can send an email, and that, I'll, I'll end up getting that. Anybody else? Oh, I didn't mention septic system. How did I do that? So if you live in an area, this should have been on there, you do, if, if, you're, if you're building, you do have to consider, do you have like a municipal waste system where you're, you're you know, wastewater goes into, into a, a standard sewer system or do you need a septic system or some areas you might be able to have a literal outhouse but most areas that's probably going to be illegal today so septic systems are important that's another additional cost when you have the septic system built before you do you have to have something done that is called a perk test and if i were buying land man it's hard to even say this today probably land you could still make a stipulation because land doesn't sell as fast as as houses but if you're buying land, it might be wise to say, I will buy the land for this price on contingency of a percolation test. Percolation. What's that? Survey Yes, thank you again. That, that was survey all. Survey and a perk test. Survey and a perk test. Because what happens is, let's say you go in there, you want to build a house. And then what they do is they bring in, they, they do it different ways. The way they did it for our property is this guy has this little tube. He drills it into the ground. He pulls it out. And, and he could tell immediately he didn't even need to add water. He could say, yep, this, is, this thing perked. Other times they will actually dump water in the hole and they'll see how long it takes for the water to go down. Well, if that water never goes down, you, you're, you may not pass a perk test. What that means is the water table is too high or, or, or it's too, maybe too much clay or something like that so that the water just sits there. 
and that property can become kind of worthless, you can't put in a septic system. Does that make sense? So now you can't, you can't have wastewater, and so now you might, it might keep you from building, or they have very expensive ways of getting around that. There might be a way to get around it, but it's better if you can get a perk test, you pay money for that, and, and if, if it doesn't pass, I wouldn't buy the property. You just chalk it up as a learning experience, a tax on that property, and you let it go. But if it passes and you like the property, you've got the survey and you've got the perk test, those are two very important things to have when buying raw land. And it, yes? Uh, there's no land around us that would ever perk. They have mound systems. Okay. And uh, also holding tanks. Yep. And what about wetland delineation? Wetland delineation. I don't even know what that is. I know what a wetland is, but what's delineation? Delineation is where they figure out where the wetland is. Yeah, okay, okay. So most, most, of this, uh, most of the times when you look at a property, there's already documentation. Like most of the nation has been uh, mapped out, and they will tell you this area is uh, the water is too high. This is a flood zone. You cannot build. Somebody contacted me here in California. They contacted me. They bought. They got a super deal on I don't know five seven acres up in uh, Grass Valley, and they said. But afterward, we find out it's a flood zone. I should have brought that in there too. That is. Thank you for bringing that up because that's another great point. That if you're in a flood zone. Number one, it's cheap because you can't build. And if you did build, your house is either going to get moldy or it's going to get flooded at some point. And so it's worthless, you know, unless you're up on stilts. But that's not the best for country living because then your garden is going to have trouble anyway. So yes, you could be on stilts and you could potentially get away with it in Florida, but you're not going to be able to grow food. And so that, that's an important thing to think about. So look, make sure, Ellen White says clearly, go read the book Country Living. One of the things she specifies, it's so simple, but you need to know this. Build on high ground. High ground. Or else you're going to get mold troubles. You're going to have all kinds of difficulties. You want to be on a, 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 you know, up, on a, up on an area that's not going to have water coming down to it. You don't want to, you know, some people, a, man, a friend of ours was looking at property down in Arizona. They were building houses right on a wash. Well, most of the year it doesn't rain in Arizona. But when it does, you're going to, have, you're going to be in the river. Your house is in the middle of a small river at times, right? And so you want to make sure that you're not on low ground. So that's a very important point. Look it up. You can typically, um, I forget how you're going to actually do that. Talk to the realtor make sure that it's not in a flood zone. Anybody else? All right. Yes, sir. Um, where do you look for problems? Where, where do you look? Great, great question, man. So obviously some of the, the main websites in the United States anyway are going to be like Zillow or Realtor.com historically was a little bit better even though everybody uses Zillow. Um, and, and it could be updated more often, Realtor.com. So you can look it up and you can very, you can specify like crazy what you're looking for. You can say, I want 10 acres. I want at least one bedroom. I want at least one bathroom. Or I just want 10 acres. And you can, and you can, and then they'll have even a section at the bottom where you can type in anything you want. Let's say you want to look for a spring. You just type the word spring in, and it will show you all the properties that have 10 acres with a spring. And, and so by doing that, that's one option. But as I already mentioned, one of the ways you can do it, as I maybe mentioned in the last group, is, is you can go around to an area that you really, really, really like and knock on doors. I know it seems uncomfortable, but it can be one of the best ways to find a property that is not on the market presently because often, once they go on the market, if they're really nice, even in the country, they can be snapped up ridiculously fast. But some people are sitting in their house, and, and you know what? Like, they've wanted to move for years, but they just haven't got up the gumption to do it. You know what I mean? 
So when you finally come to them and like, hey, do you know anybody moving? No, I'm not moving, but the guy down the street is. You go talk to him and he's like, he you set him over the edge to get him to want to do it. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it and I'll do it for this much money. He doesn't care about, you know, a, a realtor. He doesn't care about anything. He just wants to make, and, and, but by the way, make sure to have a legal contract. You're not just like handing a dude money and he walks out of the house or something like that. You want to make sure that this is legally dealt with. I would get a realtor personally. But if he doesn't want a realtor, um, you know, or you want to you, you, you make it legitimate. So don't just, go, don't just go hand somebody money and hope it works out and, and trust that he's telling you the truth or whatever. But that's one of the great ways to do it. Find an area you really, really like, investigate it, learn as much about it as possible. And that's like the, uh, uh, you know, stomp, boot stomping way. Get out there and actually look into it. But websites are, yes. Zillow and Realtor.com are probably the two most popular in America, and Realtor can sometimes be a little better. Yes? A uh, quick point on buying private party properties off-market. If you use escrow, you get title insurance. Good point. You, if somebody tries to sue you, take the last Yes, thank you for sharing that. You do, you do want title insurance every time. You're not throwing your money away by getting title insurance. Do get it for sure. Thank you, brother. Anybody else? What's escrow? Escrow is a legal process where... Uh, it's a third party, independent third party that everybody works for everybody, and you put the money in, and they only give it out if all the conditions are met, etc. It's a process that any any household or market goes through. If you're going to do an off-market deal, you're going to want to use it because it protects everybody involved, you and the seller. Thank E S C R O W. Yes. Water credits. So if you're in an area that, yeah, so water credits are something that if you live in an area with agriculture that has maybe a ditch or something, is, is, is this what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So if you live in an area that has a ditch or some kind of irrigation, you want to make sure if, if you're looking to do agriculture there that you do have access to that. So that could be water credits or finding out some properties have legal access to the water and it is just like here in California, you have these old riparian rights, which are water rights that are like, like go back maybe to the 17, 1800s, probably more like 1800s, but they go way, way back. And if you buy a property, you get those water rights if it, it came with it. Now, if you didn't come with it, you can't use that water. Um, and, and so you, if you're looking to use it for agriculture or home use or whatever, make sure that you do actually have access. Do you have credits? Or do you have riparian rights on that property? Yes. What about mineral rights? Mineral rights, great question. So mineral rights either, um, it's, for those of you who don't know, let's say you buy a property. Let's say I own a property and it has, I have mineral rights. I have, I have, oil, I have an oil rig on the property. I could sell the property to you and say, I keep the mineral rights. You can have the property, but all the money that comes from the oil, I get that forever. And there's nothing you can do about it. You either don't buy that property or you do. If you buy the property, I get the, I get the oil rights, right? I mean, or there are other people who will sell you the property with the mineral rights, and so you will get it. It's typically going to cost more if it specifically already has something like oil on the property. Many properties, the, the, the mineral rights will convey because people aren't even thinking about mineral rights. But if somebody held it back and you never looked into it, you may have bought it and not known that they had held back the, the mineral rights. That is a possibility. And so they own the mineral rights even though you didn't know about it. Same thing with timber rights. Same thing with timber rights. Okay, that's good to know. I've never heard actually about the timber rights. Wow, that's crazy. That's a crazy one. Never heard that one. But uh, was there another hand? Yeah, there are so many rights. It's true. 
and, and I, I don't want you to all give up because it sounds so scientific and difficult. Um, go forward, but you'll learn as you go and do study these things out in the back. So at Daystar, yeah. we'll get weeds growing if we irrigate. And so if there's no irrigation, you won't know if there's weeds or not. Wow. Good point. Yeah, because it's very, very dry. Yeah. So with that situation, you need God's leading to know. Yes, and 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 talking to people in the area might help you know a little bit better. Like, hey, how do things grow? Or, or, yeah. I mean, talking to people in an area can also be a big benefit, but they can also lie to you. So that's not going to guarantee truth. Anybody else before we go? All right. I think we are done. Thank you so much. If you have any questions, you're welcome to come up. Hey, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about country living. We know a lot about these things are just nuts and bolts. But the most important thing we talked about first and foremost, and that is seeking you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we need your guiding hand and help us to go forward in the right timing. Not to go ahead of you if we can't make a living out there or we don't have any income, to uh, find a way to make an income before we go to be wise and judicious about our decisions, letting you lead, not going ahead of you, but not staying too far behind either, but just step in step with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Draw each one of us nearer to you. I pray that the young and old alike, that they will find the benefits both spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally in these last days in their country living experience, and that they won't do it just to hide in the woods but they would go forth to be lights to the community, even to the cities as we are called to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.